of William Ramsey Investigates here with us this evening to discuss his research and published works. William is a graduate of the University of California, Berkeley, with a degree in history. He's also a lawyer, author, and documentary filmmaker. He has pu published five books, These in Order, Of Day, A Prophet of Evil, Alistair Crowley, 9-11, and The New World Order, Abomination, Devil Worship and Deception in the West Memphis Three Murders, Children of the Beast, Alistair Crowley's Shadow Over Humanity, Global Death Cult, The Order of Nine Angles, Atom Waffen and the Slaughter of the Innocents, and his recently, his recently published new book, The Smiley-Faced Killers. Another important thing I'd like to mention here is that William, through his podcast, has also highlighted effectively the issues surrounding the aftermath of the scamdemic we all came through over the past few years. And we would urge our listeners to tap into the invaluable work William has put in there by checking out his podcast. With that said, let's dive right in into a hidden world of chaos, death, and influence societal change with our guest. If you are new to this world, take a deep breath and prepare to have your blindfold ripped right off. It really is an honor to interview someone who's worked a follow for years. Happy New Year and welcome to the show, Mr. William Ramsey. Thank you for having me. Great to be with you, Paul. Appreciate it. Great, great. Uh, in the pre-show, we were just discussing that I'd like to cover a few of your published works, William, because I think uh, it can be hard for the average person in the street to realize how complex and deep occult groups and systems can run. They can be very, very hard to unearth, um, if that's okay with you. So we might jump about a few of your your published materials, if that's okay. Sure, no problem. Uh, I've followed your work for many years, as I said at the start, and your books have an underlying thread running right through them of the occult, organized corruption, and some might view it as a nefarious, hidden vein of death and destruction that's invisibly woven <laughs> into our society, and it seems to be going on for a long time. But I'm always curious what gets somebody on this this path. What was the spark that lit the fire in you to nudge you down this area of research? Yeah, people ask me that often, and it's really because I didn't know. I was not exposed to this. I had a superficial knowledge, and people would always say the occult or dabbled, but I really didn't have an interest in even researching all this stuff. I just remember seeing stuff at bookstores. I had worked at a bookstore. There was always kind of like a new age or occult section. So I think really what happened was I was a 9-11 researcher. Like I was always kind of reading and writing. So the kind of career that changed, which I didn't expect to become kind of a journalist, but I was always reading and writing and, and, and trying to figure stuff out for myself. And so I tried to figure out 9-11, like the mystery of 9-11 around 2003 or four. And I realized this was just a huge kind of Intel event, a planned event, which wasn't really a great conclusion to come to. But it was during all those research, all that research, I kept seeing this new numbers and numerology repeated over and over. And this, I, I didn't know what it meant. I wasn't, I'd, like I said, I didn't have that background. But then I came across, there was a guy by the name of Colonel May, who's passed away, unfortunately. But he was also a 9-11 researcher. He ran something called the Ghost Troop, and he put out little missives and documents. And one of them had like this weird numerology, 11, 11, 11, pointing on. He's like, yeah, this is, it's obviously an overabundance of this number. What does it mean? Does it have meaning? So I just kind of put it away kind of in the back recesses of my mind. And then I just like being around in the common culture, I kept seeing this, these numbers and in weird places. And I remember seeing a 93 on a guy's shirt, like it was there, like almost like it was a, 
a badge or something. I was like, what's that 93? Because there's a flight 93, which then eventually led me to Crowley and Crowley's number numerology 119377. So that was kind of it. And when that clicked, then I started seeing other kind of a cult or mysterious things in the culture. And going back and through the films and culture that I grew up in, I was much more of a not a critic of it, but a somebody who drank it in. Like I'm part of that, the modern kind of culture, which, you know, kind of as a Christian is kind of embarrassing, but that's just what I grew up in seeing all these films and things like that. So that's where it really started. So that's when I really kind of, well, who's this Crowley guy and is he a dabbler? Like they say, or what's his background. And everybody talks about that. You almost see it almost whenever somebody mentions the occult, even in journalism, <laughs> he's a dabbler in the occult. They always yeah. use that term. I don't know why they're fixated on it. So was he a dabbler? Well, so, so then I started reading and I read as much of his stuff as I could, his biography, um, with his autobiography, I should say. And then other biographies by other authors. Sutin comes to mind, Kaczynski, who is an occultist, a known occultist. So they had their own take. I think Sutin was a more academic kind of approach. So I was like, well, I, sh- I want to see what it is for. I mean, you can find the source materials now because of the, the internet so maybe some of these other documents back in the day when crowley was writing them were not accessible but they're clearly accessible now so that's kind of really where it started and then i just accrued so much more knowledge of crowley and the people who were influenced by crowley so that's really to answer your question that's really where it started it probably started after 9-11 yeah yeah i think uh, it's very you're very very hard pressed to find somebody who's affected our modern culture in so many ways than Alistair Crowley. I mean, he's everywhere. Any any research you do into, you know, social engineering, uh, media, entertainment, you can always seem to trace links back to him. Uh, 9-11 was, uh, this obviously isn't about me, but I've, I've got a similar story in terms of that was the first event that really woke me up. But I stayed in South Africa for a few years when I was a teenager. I went to school there during the height of apartheid. And when I came back to Scotland, I was about 15 and a half or thereabouts, that I noticed how skewed the media was here compared to all the things that were really happening out there. So that was the initial wake-up moment that things you see in the news, media aren't always what they seem. And then 9-11 was the big one, although I must admit, it took a few years for me after 9-11 to realise that something wasn't quite right with it. Me too. I mean, I was I was like a flag waving American. I put a flag on my car. I was like, get Bin Laden. So I really was in. I mean, they captured me wholesale. But it just was a slow kind of un- unraveling. Like, this doesn't make sense. Get back to work. And then why are we going to Iraq? I thought it was Bin Laden. So they were deliberately conflating here in the States, like the perpetrators, knowingly conflating the, the perpetrators of so-called event with the Iraq or war which was 2003 so that was there's just a lot of head scratching and really coming to that conclusion as an american that your own government would play this huge rich man's trick some people i think there's actually a documentary out there called the rich man's trick but play that kind of trick on the public is really hard to come to the conclusion but clearly the bush administration did it and uh yeah. so it's, it's a really tough con- conclusion you know it's weird too because Hmm. i'll have conversations with people even to this day 2023 who still rail against bin laden and really think that he did it and 19 people pulled this whole stunt off like it's really a strange psychological environment to be in Hmm. where you just know that they're they've just been mentally captured 
in the worst kind of way and uh where i once was so yeah I, I, t- I totally get that i think one of the hardest things for people to it's hard to turn over the fact that they've been fooled you know it's it's hard to break that bias and i think if you look at false flags in the past the bear tomkin incident which led to vietnam and and stuff like that when you see the amount of people that lost their lives and you take a a, a further a dist- more distant view of 911 it's not hard to believe that a couple of thousand people's lives these these people behind the scenes might not care about it so much when you think of the death toll from vietnam etc oh tons of it i mean there, there's false flags all through the u.s history and even this whole event that happened in israel october 7th to me was kind of a let it happen you know people used to say my hop or lie hop and the 911 <laughs> researchers but i think they they let it happen for sure because then they could just solidify their own power and mm-hmm. engage in what they're doing right now, which is really disgusting. But there's also the Levon affair, U.S. list liberty. A lot of it, the knowledge is not publicly disclosed like that. The Gulf of Tonkin is taught in our schools as a real event. So this, wow. there were three gunboats that came out and attacked our ships, and we had to go into Vietnam. Uh, but it's all fit. Like the the incident, really, uh, my understanding and researchers is that it that didn't even happen. They just made it up out of whole cloth. There were no three gunships. They didn't need to. They just drilled this fake story in Americans and got everybody gung-ho. But like for us here in the States, uh, we had the, um, I think it was the Maine and Havana blew up. And that was an excuse for the Spanish-American War. So all this jingoism goes way back. And I think that even here, uh, the Pearl Harbor event was a LIHOP thing. Like, uh, Roosevelt was doing very strange things with the American fleet. He just said, no, keep them at Pearl Harbor. That wasn't where they usually stayed. They usually stayed on the mainland. So he's like, no, yeah. well, you doing? why are you making that decision? You know, and there's all kinds of information that he had knowledge that the Japanese were headed to Pearl Harbor. So 9-11 is definitely it, but it's also a scary kind of realization too, because it just shows how these governments think about their own citizens. Like they'll move you around like pieces on a chessboard. And if they have to give up a pawn or whatever piece, that's how rough it is. You know, they will definitely make that decision. They, I mean, all through human history, unfortunately, that a lot of these rulers in high places will do that. So, yeah. I mean, I think we all, we all want to think we're the good guys or we're on the good guy side, but it's never as clear as that. It's quite, quite interesting, the psychology that goes on there. When, when we look at profit of evil and we're going to have a, a more kind of a little deep dive into some of the, the numerology around it, you noticed the, the amount of elevens that were there, the 93. Can we just have a little chat around the main numbers that drew your attention to it? First, William, if you, if you don't mind. Yeah, no, I think it's the 11 was really it, the over preponderance, just like I said, noticed by this guy, Captain May. So I didn't know what that meant. And that's why the structure of Prophet of Evil starts out with a biography of Crowley and why 11 was the kind of key number in his religion, which he called Thelema, right? So he was really, and I mean, he made quotes to like this guy, Clifford Batts, uh, another writer, Crowley, I would call him a literateur, really. He was very literary mm. and very bright, like, that's probably why he's so influential is that one, he had tons of money too, but not everybody with money is as smart as, as determined as Crowley. And somebody actually like he was a Puritan, like he was from like the Darby, he was an exclusive brethren, but some commentators about Crowley made an interesting observation that he almost had, even though he was an occultist, he had like the Protestant work ethic. Like the guy really put out tons of literature 
And I don't even think it's all been compiled, which is really strange. Not even his biographers, all the stuff that he's written and journalism and under different names. It's very complex. So anyway, Crowley, uh, the 11 was really important to him. Crowley's advancement through the occult happened when he went to college, right? So he's at Cambridge. He becomes interested in esotericism and he joins this group called the Golden Dawn, probably one of the most influential ceremonial magical groups in the Western tradition because they actually wrote their documents out and people can still, you know, look through their documents. So he's on in the golden on, it's a post Masonic group. So it's, he's already gone through kind of Masonic teachings and they had kind of this book uh, about numbers and their magical meaning. And 11 was like a myth, a number and having prophet of evil, a number of menace or things like that. But it also ties in to kind of, uh, magical thinking like uh, the hexagram and the, the pentagram add up to 11. So you see this, uh, this 11, even before Crowley kind of emphasized it. So it really is kind of the number of magic, the five and the six, and you're supposed to bring the macrocosm and the microcosm together inside the magician. So you have control over reality on any plane. So they have pretty uh, aggressive kind of view of their grip on reality, but like master of reality, almost like that black Sabbath song. So, <laughs> Um, so Crowley then has this event in 1904 in Egypt. He's, he's traveling the world a lot. He's a mountain climber and has really, uh, has a credible history in that. Like he's been on these huge climbs. He kind of destroyed his reputation in a climb in India, but on the way back from one of his trips around the world where he's gathering information, a lot of Eastern esotericism or occultism, whatever you want to term it on his return back to, um egypt his wife uh her name was kelly she at the time her last name she at the time had some kind of like supposedly had some being talked where they're ready and crowley writes down over three days this kind of received text he called the book of the law which references the use of the book of the law in masonic uh lodges so he has this book and within that book it says my number is 11 and those of us or who were of us it's broken into three sections over the three days. But anyway, so this is the number in his kind of thing. So 11 is like this entity he calls Awas, who dictated this book to him, emphasizes the number of 11. You can see actual, the real copy of his book. It's it's not, there's maybe a few emendations, but he's writing it down fast. And he was kind of an automatic writer anyway. He just had that skill. Uh, and he didn't really... He didn't, wasn't one of those people who went back over his own stuff and re-edited it or did anything. When he was done, he was done. But anyway, so 11 was emphasized in 1904, and it became kind of a central piece or central number of his kind of religion, his anti-Christian religion, uh, which, and, it, and you just see it referenced through, he has like book 11, he has uh, do what thou wilt should be the whole of the law is 11 words, 11 syllables. So you see him referencing this number 11. So that's kind of his primary number. And uh, that's what, when the 9-11 happened, obviously it happens on 9-11, September 11th. But the first plane to hit the towers or the 11, the huge 11, which is the <laughs> Twin Towers is really almost, and it clearly actually says that the number 11 itself is an ideogram, meaning it has meaning beyond like its numerical meaning. It has a meaning of two opposites, right? So yeah. It's almost like the nine, I mean, this, these buildings were created for occult purposes or Masonic purposes or whatever you want to call it. So 11 is the first to hit the 
the twin towers, which are 110 stories, right? This is not by accident. So 11 is like the second. And then 175 and cruelly, you can look up Libra 175. It's uh, it's kind of a ritual you're supposed to do for the God you adore. And that's kind of a, a common term. If you're familiar kind of reading through occult literature, Luciferianism, you're, you know, you're supposed to adore Satan or something like that. So that's 175. 93, according to Crowley, this is what makes it, these numbers specific to Crowley, really is 93, which isn't another occultist out there who emphasized this number. But Crowley himself was a Kabbalist, right? So he, he believed in the Kabbalah. And inside the Kabbalah, there is this kind of gematria where your words have numerical outcome. So like a word, letters each have a number, and it adds up to a certain thing. What he found out in his research is that the lima, this, which means will in Greek, and that was the name of his religion, in, in gematria adds up to 93, and so does agape. So uh, when he writes like or, or says uh, love under law, love under will, it's almost like it's almost like a doctrine that can be dis- distilled into 93, 93, 93. You'll see Jimmy Page write mm-hmm. that. You can see that in Children of the Beast, my book, Children yeah. of the Beast. But it's a common kind of way to uh, emphasize Crowley's teaching. So this 93 is almost kind of in a secret way within the Thelemic community or the Crowley community. They all know what it means. So that is Flight 93, right? That's the one that supposedly went down in Shanksville. And then 77 is is another kind of power number in Crowley and really just Satanism in general. Uh, in the uh, Satanic Bible, the Satanic Bible, there's 77 names of Satan. So there's all these different num- names. But Crowley has something called Liber 77 or Liber Oz. And it's kind of it's he it's Crowley's rights of man. And he's it's totally anti like anti God. It says on the intro with there is no other God but man. And in Libra 77, it's really kind of a vicious kind of book because it says, like, you can do whatever you want. And anybody who thwarts your rights, you have the right to kill them. Mm-hmm. So that's Libra 77. It's also a component within kind of his Babylon system, um, which he spelled B-A-B-A-L-O-N. Uh, the two coming together, the beast, I think 77 and 77 is part of like the beast, which he called himself the beast the beast and the scarlet woman, which he took from book of revelation. Mm. So, and then there's more 77 that like, it, it was a representation of the goat, which is represented. I think I've said Sagittarius and the goat is a representation of the devil. Um, so those numbers all together, 11, 93, 77 and 175 can all be traced to Crowley, but 93 in specific is really just, there's no other person who's used a uh, number in its meaning. So it's not really the, the numbers themselves have power. It's what they're referencing, right? Mm. So they're referential numbers. Uh, I had, uh, yeah, that's really interesting. Um, I've, I've been looking into this stuff for years as well. And it, and it seems that if you take a break from it and you go back, you always find something else that, that maybe never caught your eye at the time. If, if we look at the two twin towers themselves, you mentioned there, there were 110 stories each, so that they're both 11 then, but the towers themselves could be their poison forces. Uh, and we see one tower now. So it's almost like they've synthesized into one now. It's almost like the new age is here. We don't need the opposing forces. We've done it. It's almost like, uh, you know, sticking your flag in the ground, some sort of signal in there. Right. Uh, 
Another, another thing that was really interesting about the number 11, uh, William, is obviously the word that he put forward is the word of the new Eon, which was abracadabra, that that different take on abracadabra that we were brought up with looking at sleight hand magicians and stuff. The 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 word, the count on that in terms of a value in Geometria is 418. And that was obviously a really important number to him because I think IWAS could be described in a value of 93 with one spelling, but a value of 418 right. with another. Uh, and I had a quick look yesterday ahead of this interview because something just sparked in my mind. I thought, what actual height were the towers? And I looked and they're one meter off. The tower one was four one seven meters tall. It was close, but it wasn't quite there. It wasn't quite there. <laughs> <laughs> well, four eighteen. You'll see it on one of his layman's, right? So there's a layman. Mm. I think it's in um, oh the book that was done by um, JFC Fuller about Crowley. You'll see the layman there, and it'll say I think it says ninety three and four eighteen. So four eighteen mm. was Crowley's number, dramatic number for global illumination. Mm. So he was. I mean, these guys are thinking on really big terms, like. Not thing like really, <laughs> a lot of people call him a dabbler. Obviously, not a dabbler. No, um, but he wanted to like the birth of the child, the birth of the new aeon. Mm-hmm. Like that's what he wanted was this yeah. new magical world. Yeah, and uh, the age of Horus or whatever you know, based on mm-hmm. Egyptian type of stuff. So this era of magic. But yeah, that four eighteen is lesser known one of his mm-hmm. numbers. But I, it's interesting that those two towers are like that. One, like you said, going back and looking at something else, at the very base of the towers, they have this kind of three pronged, like trident that comes up, and that's huge in the occult. Wow. Something that I didn't know when I first was researching Crowley, you know, after nine eleven. But like the trident is symbolic of like the underworld or being thrust out of heaven. So it's mm-hmm. another kind of almost like. The Rockefellers love, um, what's the guy who got kicked out who, like, the bird eats his liver every day? It's uh, Oh, Prometheus? Rock. Yeah, Prometheus. They like Prometheus, to build, yeah. build Prometheus at the Rockefeller Center, right? So yeah. this whole, like, trident thing, it goes through, and it's in the Order of Nine Angles as well, which we can mm. get to. But uh, that's there. I think I don't think it's by accident no. that these buildings were all crafted right there in the 60s for this big event. Like I think that yeah. they, they had that long, either long-term or they were going to do something, but those buildings so unusual too, over the skyline of uh, New York city, like mm. they towered over the rest of everything. And they were actually referenced. They were kind of joking around, but they were referenced by people as David and Nelson, the two of the Rockefeller brothers who <laughs> put the money together to build that and the UN, which is a huge monolith, but that's a whole other story. That's but crazy, it's actually yeah. actually kind of t- ties into it because this monolithic structure and it was you can look at the Millennium Hilton, which was right next to the Twin Towers, and it's just a big monolith, just like from uh, Kubrick's 2001 Space Odyssey. It's really something. Yeah. Wow. I think uh, uh, something that a lot of people forget as well is if we look at the the importance of the number seven in, in Crowley's system, he had Libra 77, he had... Uh, treble seven as well which was the correspondences to do with Kabbalah and stuff but he also had Libra seven which was to do with the the seven planets that a lot of occult systems will and we'll get to that but the ONA as well because they've got a septenary way which is really interesting uh, seven, seven really figured highly and when you see the the smoking gun of building seven on 9-11 it really makes you wonder 
Um, no, it's weird. And the seven also represents kind of, I think, power coming down across the Kabbalic system too. It's like so it's it comes down like a zigzag. So I think the seventy-seven symbolizes that or as well. Yeah, I think that's that Luciferian bolt of lightning symbology that they use coming through it. Uh, Something else that kind of, this this is just a conjecture theory that I'm I'm putting forward here, just to link it into what we're going to chat about later. But I always wondered about the nine, because obviously nine's really important to different esoteric groups, different occult groups. And I looked, I was actually looking at ONA stuff recently and Temple of Blood, some of the books they've published, some of the text they've put forward. And this 333, Crowley had Libra 333, the Book of Lies, but I think it was the Temple of Blood. I could be mistaken. I think they've released no, a book right. called they, they Libra 333. A, they have the, the inverted um, trident and then the 333 yeah. badge. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. And what, what that made me, sorry, but what that made me think about was if you look at numerology and the numerology reduction that a lot of occultists use, that three 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 then becomes nine. And if you put that against nine and nine eleven, it could read Caronzon's magic or magic of Caronzon. You've got the nine and the eleven there. Chaos, death, destruction. It kind of makes sense. Um I've heard that nine is like power number in LeVay's system because it's the top number before you start repeating numbers and things like that. So I've, mm-hmm. I've heard that. I've heard somebody else say that it goes over the 10, so the decad, whatever, which is kind of like the perfect number. So you're mm-hmm. symbolically skipping like the Godhead or whatever, going from 9 to 11. The, the, the magic is like the you're, you're grounding, not, not at the top. I think that was uh, oh, somebody told me that. Yeah. So yeah. I don't know. I don't, I'm not a practitioner. No, no, not at all. I think uh, the reason I kind of know a good deal about it is like yourself. I think if you're you're researching a subject, you have to read a lot of the original text because there's a lot of hidden stuff in there. And Crowley's books, texts, the amount of writing he'd done, like you said, it was number one complex. It was written in a slightly different language style. You're looking at over 100 years ago, a lot of them. But not just that they're kind of fit together like a jigsaw. You can read one text and get partial meaning from it, but then maybe a year later you'll pick up another one of his texts and it's like a jigsaw fit together. You'll see right. the, the, scat- the information is scattered really. Right, and those Libras, those are kind of like magical rituals. They're all covered in symbolism and mm. uh, allegory and analogy. So they're not super clear, but mm. you can kind of get some ideas about well, his sex magical practices because they're it snaps for it. I mean, it gets kind of it gets dark, but you can mm-hmm. see some of it in the book. Of, you mentioned the book of lies. You can yeah. go see like uh, I think one. Yeah, it gets yeah. It's super really super, graphic. Super dark. Really graphic. Yeah, yeah super dark. So. Uh, then the that actually seven... reminds me of the band Ministry because they reference one of his song, like one of his tracks from the book of lies, and wow. it's uh, yeah. Yeah, I don't want to go into it, but yeah. No, yeah. Ministry yeah, knows about that. And Ministry <laughs> wrote a really interesting album about the Bush administration here called mm. uh, Rio Grande Blood. And I think that that takes one to know one. You know, sometimes these guys know each other, just of like course. Crowley knew about Joseph Smith. He understood Smith much more than people don't because he was a ceremonial magician as well. Of course. Like yeah. Smith, sorry. But yeah. And they've got that. They've got that almost in-house joke that they play all the time, where they'll talk in coded language. They can recognise each other, whereas the 
you know, what some societies would call just the average person in the street, the profane or, or whatever, they, they don't pick up on it. You see it in entertainment all the time. Uh, so it's a very complex system to dig into because there's so many hidden veils to go through. Right. And a lot of it's secret. So a lot of this stuff takes mm-hmm. place in lodges and secret tombs like here in uh, Yale or whatever, Skull and Bones. And there's a lot. There's so many secret societies in Yale. It's just a big secret society central a lot of these guys are in. So um, yeah. you're right. But they do little references. And you can see they give it away in speeches, Obama and Bush Jr. And even Bush himself is famous September 11th, 1990. Speech. Wow. He's leaving out all the stuff. So there's another 11, right? So it's literally 11 years to the date of this huge event, world changing event, certainly for the U.S. Mm-hmm. But like you can like Obama gave a speech, I think his inaugural speech He's like, it's not just the stones that this represent, but it's the power between these stones. Like this is full masonry. He's saying wow. that to everybody like he knows. He absolutely yeah. knows. So, wow. And yeah, I, mean... did, I did not. What is I'm the angel who rides the storm. He says that I think it is. <sighs> In 2004, these guys are like referencing occultism. So like that's kind of one of the things that astonishes me. And one of the reasons why I wrote these books is that so many of the profane don't get it. They don't they don't Mm. believe it. And somebody could tell it to them and they'd just be like, you are a schizophrenic. You're out of your mind. There's not (laughs) any secret ideas or anything. I've said that's everywhere. Like there's secrets aside. There's funny people making like weird hand gestures. Like I can see a thousand people from Hollywood making the sign of silence, but these yeah. people will never get the idea that the wool has been pulled over their eyes. It's really, it's really something else. Yeah. I mean, there, there is, there is a really real big advantage to actually researching all of this stuff. Obviously we've got to remain balanced because we can get carried away if you get too deep into a subject. But I think once the spell's broken, William, you're almost not unaffected by manipulation and programming, but you certainly become more resistant to it. Um, and that's something I'm going to touch on if, if we get the chance to touch on echoes because a lot of these occult magicians, if you want to call them that, uh, they're very good manipulators. I think that's the idea of magic, right? It's to manipulate the out- outer world. Like that's what it cruelly defined magic. It's uh, the act of uh, facilitating change. What was, I forget his axiom now, but I should. Yeah, I think, it, I think it's something along the lines of facilitating change to the conformance of one's will or something. Right. Yeah. So they're, that, they're actively, you know, kind of putting their hand mm-hmm. almost in an Austin <clears throat> way in reality. But yeah, Eccles is an excellent manipulator. Like he's first rate. No question. Wow, yeah. It's, it's interesting for, for us, somebody in our position, to look at it because it's almost like it's so obvious, but other people just seem to be hypnotized by him. It's really strange, but I think it's more to do with once once you're, once somebody draws your attention to what is actually happening, you become more aware of it and you become immune to it in a certain level. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I don't know <laughs> if I can fall for some of these other things. Like, I, I didn't fall for, like, the Ukraine war or Putin mm. is a big bad guy or, and I, I'd have stopped watching TV. Like I, there's nothing useful for me to watch television for, but yeah. that goes like when you see like maybe like for me or where I was before I did all this research, the occultism or secret societies or these secret connections that happen all over the place, they were liminal. They weren't like in the front of my brain or conscious, but after doing this research, there's absolutely no doubt about it. Like you just haven't done the work. Like once you yeah. do the work on echoes, <laughs> it opens up to this whole 
I mean, there's international Christianity or Buddhism or Islam. Mm -hmm. Well, these there's international occultism. There's no question. That's why I wrote Global Death Cult to show that these ideas Mm -hmm. have obviously seeded through a subculture throughout the world. But yeah, Eccles is connected to so many people. Holy smokes. Yeah. A lot of people in the UK, like uh, the guy, Mm -hmm. uh, his name was Genesis P. Orge. Yeah. That's incredible stuff. Peter Christofferson. Wow. People can't even understand how dark that guy was. They don't even know. Like, actually, there's a really good documentary on Netflix called Hypnosis, right? It was uh, an art. They did back in the day, album covers were much harder to make imaginative. And they were the the guys who did it, made a lot of money, but he worked for them. And even the guy who started Hypnosis is like, yeah, Peter worked for us. We had no idea how dark he was. He was super dark. (laughs) Yeah. yeah, super, super dark. He was actually linked to uh, a few of the people that were involved in the Balenciaga scandal as well. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Getting getting back to the the numbers here, just so I can kind of tie these numbers up a little bit. Seventy seventy seven is a really interesting one. Obviously, we we talked about Libra Oz. The Pentagon itself is seventy seven feet tall. Uh, I'm sure from the, yeah, first, the first play, it was the first time it was dug was on September eleventh. What? 1940 or something like that. <laughs> That's right, yeah. That makes perfect sense, yeah. Yeah, and I think from the time the first plane hit on 9-11 until the last plane basically came down, it was 77 minutes. It's actually wow. 77 minutes, yeah. Right. And do you, know, do you know who was within um, sight of the Pentagon when it hit, got hit by the plane? I, I think I've got a rough idea. I think it was, was George Bush there having a yeah, lunch senior. or something. Yeah. yeah, he was with the Bin Laden family. Yeah, their biggest, like the Saudi Arabia's, one of their antagonists was Iraq. So they had Mm. something in common, at least in that level. I mean, other than the fact that the Saudis were, you know, petrodollaring and putting their money in the American, uh, you know, system. Yeah. But those connections are there, yeah. I mean, uh, Bush himself has a a tie to that number 77 in your documentary. on Vimeo, you, you point that out really well. I think there was a, am I right in saying there was a, a battleship with the number 77 that's linked to Bush? Um, aircraft carrier. Aircraft yeah. carrier. His aircraft carrier that's named after him is 77. Yeah. So. Yeah. He also and was wearing all... a hat. He was at some secret society meeting. I could not trace exactly where he was. Bush Sr. was very well connected. Like he was a mm. blue blood Brahmin, and his son kind of comes off as like this kind of Texan. <laughs> he's a great actor man george Bush yeah amazing yeah. like not in a good way but yeah. he can pull off all kinds of stunts and one of the stunts that he pulled off is trying to convince people that he wasn't an east coast elite or an offspring of east coast elite and connected to the rockefellers yeah but, of yeah, course senior he was at a secret society and you can see it at it's almost like uh uh it's not a masonic hat it's like one of the secret society hats but it has a goat and 77 on it Oh, is it like a is it like a Shriner? Sorry, yeah, yeah. That's so interesting. I mean, obviously, we've seen the conspiracy theories with with Barbara Bush and and stuff like that. And if you if you really dig into the roots of that, there seems to be a real chance of a definitive link there between Barbara Bush's mum. Obviously, Mm -hmm. Uh, she circulated in the same. She was in the same circles as Crowley in Paris, I'm sure. And the 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 visual with them side by side, Barbara Bush and Crowley, when when you look at them, it's it really it really it's is eerie. Intriguing. It's a female yeah. looks like Crowley in drag. 
Like it literally mm-hmm. is almost like the same person. Crowley had kind of he was actually of Irish extraction, but he mm-hmm. had kind of like this square head. And he tried to kind of cover it up by wearing scarves and things like that or de-emphasize it, but she has this huge like un she has the same kind of head. It's weird. Like I I mean I've heard people like, oh, there's no way I can discount that or whatever. Well, wow, she looks exactly like them. You could just yeah. do it. And the timing is right. Like I think it was uh Pierce was her maiden name. Uh, huge, like another elite family. Like, I think that she was affiliated with a lot of uh, uh, Wall Street money was her family, mm-hmm. too. They, they And McCall's, I think, was the magazine that she, her dad ran. But the mother was, I can't remember her first name, but she was in around Paris where Crowley was kind of bouncing around before he got kicked out of France. Uh, yeah. was in Paris with a guy by the name of Frank Harris. And I think it was his wife, O'Hara, who knew Pierce, whose first name I can't remember right now. But oh, yeah. I, I think it was uh, Pauline Robinson. Pauline, that's right. Pauline Pierce. Yeah. yeah. So, and you can see, I actually posted on my Twitter feed recently the picture of the family together. And uh, Barbara, Barbara Pierce is an outlier, man. She doesn't look yeah. exactly like the others. She looks a yeah. little different and she has kind of strange eyes. And then her yeah. relationship with George Bush Sr. is almost like it was an arranged marriage. Like, they were both so mm. young. So it was some kind of, like, an elite get-together, you know, like, they met, I mean, yeah. I mean, it's it's so strange. And Crowley at that time was doing this, these rituals. It's called ECL. And he wrote, writes about, and it's just another sex magical things with it required women, you know. And so maybe, I think that was kind of Crowley's thing is, like, finding these bored middle-aged females and and they would you know do stuff with him even while he was in new york so i mean i think that that may maybe that's the whole thing is like he found the elite at that time and you know got them interested in the way he was thinking i think that's what he did he always Mm. stated and i quote this in prophet of evil he's like have nothing to do with the muck of the mire find the diamonds and polish them so he thought There was no, it wasn't, he was totally classist, no egalitarian, but he thought we got to find other rich people. And, you know, his idea of polishing was te- te- teaching them about the occult. Yeah. Yeah. I think one of, you make a great point there. One of the, one of the things that you realize when you research this area after a period of time is it's a very elitist mindset. And that's why it attracts a certain group of people. It's almost, it's almost like the serial killer mindset. Uh, I know you're a, a big uh, fan of Dave McGowan and Program to Kill and his work, but this they'll almost taunt what they what they believe to be people who are below them by showing them how clever they are. And the, the mindset of a lot of people that are drawn to the cult is that they're special because it's hidden knowledge. Of, um, I, I can take that knowledge because I'm special and they look down on everybody else. Right. No, you're absolutely right. I think that's the commonality of the the Luciferian idea is that we're special, we're our own clique, clique or whatever, and you're not, you're, you know, whatever. You're a goy, mm. you're cattle. Crowley, Crowley said the worst things, like we shall have nothing to do with the lower classes. We will give them the quiet wisdom of the cattle. We will use them for mutton and hides. And, you know, when we're done, that's it. That's his attitude. So the slave shall serve, right? That was in the book of the law. And that Mm. became another kind of dictum of his, like these people, the class system is great. He thought that the feudal system 
was the greatest thing ever. And that's like the cause of like revolutions all over the world was these uh, hereditary monarchies. Like, yeah, people just realize these guys are not capable of running like huge states mm-hmm. and things like that. And you get varying competency levels from them. So, uh, but he thought that was that was great. He, oh, he was always a royalist too. Like he loved, you know, yeah. he liked the king or queen or whatever. But uh, yeah, so I think that that elitist is there, and it's super evident in the O nine A. Like there's only us, and everybody else is just homo hubriati. They're either arrogant or dumb, and we're the special, yeah, or the special ones. It's really interesting, but it's actually uh, interesting that it's kind of like a lot of religions have that too. So a lot of even Christian terms like ours is the best, we're special and set apart. And it's it's not just Judaism or chosen people. You can see that through Mormonism, Seventh Day Adventists, uh, yeah, uh, was it? There's just so many. Yeah, they all set themselves up. As, they were they're the smartest and the most chosen and the special. <laughs> yeah. No, it's and that's that's cult thinking. It's a lot. Uh, it's in cults as well. Yeah, it's, it's really elitist. It's a really strange mindset. Something about uh, yeah, it's something about the human condition is that you can actually get people in and into your group if you make them feel special or love bomb mm-hmm. them, and then tell them they're special and they're more special than everybody else. You're in Moonies, whatever. Yeah, yeah, programmed, programmed. Uh, I think it's re- I think it's really telling that uh, you mentioned a little earlier about eleven years before two thousand the two thousand and one event. George Bush Senior gives that speech that that New World Order speech that's really famous, and then his son happens to be in power, power when the event actually takes place. I mean the the synchronicities and the what what some people might look at as being coincidences are off the it's off the charts. Off the charts. Yeah, no, they're it's, not believable. The average person could wouldn't make those connections that there's that much control. But I think that when you really look at these occultists, it's all about mind control. And I think control mm-hmm. is an important element of it. So maybe yeah. it'd be overt mind control, but really just controlling the populations. And I think that that's really kind of like an elitist, another elitist trait is I'm on top, I'm staying on top, and I will mm-hmm. say what I need to do to keep control. And that kind of control is incredible to think that the Bush is like, you know anticipated or you know presciently mm. knew something was going to happen in, on the 2001 and it may even go back to, i mean we can get even into more <laughs> strange things is that even kubrick and clark might have known and that mm. the faked moon landing was really a precursor to 2000 the 2001 event because that was also apollo 11 right so yeah wow and yeah, yeah so no arthur c clark was a genius so was Kubrick. These are guys at the very top. I mean, Crowley was a genius too. Hmm. But they they did something in 2001 that was really remarkable. It's really incredible. Because that monolith... In, so they they were together in New York City, right? And they're, the way Kubrick operated is like he had a topic and he wanted to get the best person for that topic. Whether it was Vietnam or um, science fiction or anything. So the best person to get on that topic was Clark. So they had a meeting of the minds. They were writing a book and they were going to have a book and a film concurrently come out, I think in 68 or 69. But Clark at the same time is faking, is involved in this fake moon landing. There's absolutely no question about it. And there's overlaps between NASA, this guy Mueller, who's like a legit na- and, and paperclip Nazis. <laughs> but there's this, there's actually a real 
um, like a picture of these guys, Clark, Kubrick, and Mueller together, I think, in in London prior to the so-called moon landing. It was really hard for me to believe the moon landing was fake. But I think yeah. it's, with the technology now, you can tell it's fake. And even yeah. AI can say it's fake. But um, it's Clark is involved should... in, sorry, Clark is no, involved okay. in the so... fake moon landing. He's on TV just bullying this stuff. And Nixon supposedly picks up the phone and talks to the guys on the moon without any delay. I don't know if you remember that. Like, this is like, it's a break in the, obviously, the the fiction of it. But uh, <laughs> the, the they're in, he's involved in this. They're also writing 2001. They're kind of coming up with, like, this, this kind of strange thing. But Clark writes in his book, like, they find this monolith on the dark side of the moon. And guess how tall the monolith is in Clark's <laughs> book? You can't write it. It's 11 feet tall. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So he knows all, and you can read his books. He knows all the numerology that's integrated into 9-11. So th- this event that happened on September 11th, it has a precursor. It has an ideological kind of almost like a secret code precursor even mm. prior to the event. But these guys, if you're, if you're one of those types, this kind of world controller, maybe if you, uh, you know, it's, it's brave new world kind of yeah. terminology, or even you know that that's the way kind of they are think that's their thinking. That's their real religion is this esoteric Luciferianism. Yeah, that, of course, which cruelly was a part of it. You know, they're not Christians. They'd like to believe they're Christians. You know? No, I mean it's it's really interesting. You mentioned the moon landings there. I I guess the talk to just about a month and a half ago, uh, Robert Sullivan. He researches symbolism in movies. And he was telling me that the smoking gun for the that well, what he thinks is a smoking gun for the moon landings was when NASA actually landed the lenses to Kubrick for Barry Lyndon because he was filming in candlelight. Right, that's right. Yeah, it's a uh, it's really bizarre tie in there, and uh, I've actually I'm chatting to Bart Sabrell next week, so that'll be interesting. <laughs> I'm looking yeah, forward to, to that. Bart. I was actually yeah, I was actually on Twitter just last week, and there's the famous kind of thing of Bart confronting uh whatever his name was like swearing a bible you were on the moon and he punched bart that's right face. Yeah, buzz aldrin. i forgot his name but yeah buzz aldrin they did not go to the moon man. they no. they there's no way and i'm I, it's, that was a i was actually harder for me to accept than uh, 9-11 because like i just grown up with just the whole history of, of the moon landing was real yeah like, my that's mom... real that's a real for an american yeah. really hard to believe but yeah they faked it yeah, even even in the UK, my mum who watched that when she, when she was younger, uh, she will not even entertain. She won't entertain the the possibility that it was faked. I think people have got too much emotion tied up in the whole. You know, they watched it live or whatever, and it's it's quite a hard illusion to break. You know, it really is. But it shows the Amer- at least the American system how the how much re- how many resources they can put together to put mm-hmm. these public displays together. Like we don't know yeah. all of the mechanics of 2001, uh, what happened on September 11th, but it's an ornate event for planes, all this stuff. There's all kinds of weird, like doomsday flights taking place. There were all kinds of like, <laughs> is this a real event or fake? There's yeah. all kinds of chatter amongst like inside the kind of techno state, American techno mm-hmm. state. But if you look at the, the United States, and the Manhattan Project is a perfect example, or MK Ultra. These are very vast inter- undertakings. You can just do the history of Manhattan Project, and it was just seeded all throughout 
the whole United States, there were parts and components. It was all compartmentalized very cleverly, right? But they were like University of Chicago's doing one thing. There's something going on in uh, Nevada. Then there's guys in Cornell. And they're all working on different components, but they put it together mm. and dropped two bombs on Japan. And MK Ultra was the same way. Like the guys yeah. who were like the the psychologists and all that stuff conducting all these tests, there were 149 sub projects. They probably had no idea that how, how vast it was. They didn't see it from the top down, but it was vast, and yeah. it evolved some of these nefarious character characters again. Nelson <laughs> Rockefeller was an essential component and a part of the MK ultra program. Right. So this guy, yeah. So he's like a, you know, the walk kind of wasp elite from a rich, one of the richest families in the world overseeing these mind control tests. And he almost became president because so, I mean, this is his, this is a real history. Squeaky Fromm tried to shoot Ford in the head and supposedly missed him by like an inch. And if he would have taken that headshot, Nelson Rockefeller would have been president. Wow. Same thing with Reagan and Bush <clears throat> Sr., right? So that happened right at the beginning of 1981 at the hotel in... Um, they like to stage things at the hotels. But it happened in 1981 with Hinckley and Reagan, who was just an inch away from dying. You know, like he got shot in the, in the chest. But it would have made Bush president for like at least four years, right? Can't even, you can't write the real history of the United States. It's <laughs> no. unbelievable. It's unbelievable. Yeah, most people laugh off the behavioral control stuff that the CIA was looking into, and they're making a huge mistake. I think uh, the main delusions, the propaganda, the programming from TV and entertainment is it's so strong. It really, it really is so strong. You see this coded language everywhere. What one thing that. Uh, that I mentioned to someone I was chatting to recently was the Jack Ryan series that's uh, currently on the television. I think it's season three. There's a 93-93-93 slotted straight into the the dialogue between three characters. There's no other words between it, and whoever wrote that is basically well in the know. Right. It's, no, it's, it's the same thing at Eyes Wide Shut. There's a sequence there where they're at the uh, table, and the Scarlet Woman is talking to Bill Harford, and she's like, oh, 77. Seven seven. They do little tricks like that. They do the same thing in, um, uh, like one of the most watched shows here in the U.S. is the uh, Stranger Things, right? I'm sure they've. I'm pretty sure those writers have listened to at least one of my talks on Prophet of Evil because that that has everything in there. Eleven. Heard the girl's name is Eleven. They have a smiley face. The very Mm -hmm. beginning intro sequence is like them saying the seven seven type tricks. They do these kind of little wordplay, just like you said, and. I told you like the from uh, the uh, Satanic Bible, the 77 names of Satan. One of those names is the demon that they have in there, which is wow. the, uh, what's the name of the demon? When they're oh, I'm the trying eight? to remember. I can't remember, I can't remember off the top of my head now. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Come back. I will, I will come back to me. Welcome back to me. Yeah. Uh, I don't think we'll, we'll have uh, much time to talk about the West Memphis Three. William, do you mind if we move on to the order of the nine angles, just to kind of give the the modern slant on how occultism is almost uh, morphed into a more dangerous and harder to track form? I would say. Uh, how how did you you first come across that the actual? O9A, Order of Nine Angles, there's various terms for them. Yeah, it was the Demon Gorgon was the name of it. That's one. If you can look up the book, the Satanic Bible, you'll see the 
the name Demon Court. I uh, came I came out of it came out of my research into this what's known here as the smiley face killers in the states. And it's this phenomenon that of young men disappearing later to be found in water and under very strange circumstances. Always happens at night. And it got its name from two original uh, researchers. One guy's name was Gannon, the other Gilbertson. And they both saw the same phenomenon separately in different parts of the U.S. One was in Manhattan, New York City, and the other, I think, was in Wisconsin. And so they correlated these kind of strange events with defining the symbol of the smiley face. So I'm researching Children of the Beast, my kind of follow-on book to Prophet of Evil. It's supposed to be a follow-on. I got distracted by the whole order uh, West Memphis 3 stuff. But the, <clears throat> well, I was doing the Children of the Beast book. I kept seeing the smiley face in culture, right? Like, it's obvious. Like, it's like seeing almost very similar to my Prophet of Evil experience where I kept seeing the 11. Like, what is this? Why is the smiley face here? Why? And it's really predominant within Alan Moore's um, The Watchman, right? The comedian has the smiley yeah. face. And I think that that's a symbolic representation of the ideology of the comedian. And also, clearly, it overlaps where the universe is one big joke. And it doesn't, you don't have these rules. You just can do whatever you want and um, have fun doing it. Like the comedian goes to Vietnam because he likes killing people. He's having joy, joy uh, with the mayhem and slaughter. So I kept seeing the smiley face. And so then I was like, oh, I remember hearing something on Coast to Coast about this you know, thing. I really hadn't really looked into the smiley face killings at all. And then I found a couple people online on Facebook. Uh, Jim Smith. So I just kind of linked up with people. I was just kind of researching. And then I started following people who disappeared. There was a guy, Joey Labute, 2016 in um, Columbus, Ohio. So I followed that case from his disappearance to later being found Mm -hmm. in the Scioto River 19 days later. So once that clicked, I was like, okay, this is really happening. Then case after case after case after case kind of happened. And so that really kind of, I was literally just watching this happen uh, through my internet connection in a lot of these cases there's huge amounts of public interest locally and news coverage reports and so that kind of was where i started but it was during that research somebody reached out to me and said hey have you ever looked into the 09a and i said i have no idea what that is what's that and why would that have something to do with the smiley face killers well the ona has this kind of like doctrine of sacrifice they call it finding an offer and you're supposed to do it where nobody can figure out you're doing it. So like the same, that would be the same thing that would overlap with the smiley face killers. Cause people think <clears> it's an accident and the police write it off as an accident. But these guys, it's very strange. Like these are very healthy males, like who should, if they fall in water, they just pop right out. And a lot of them are found in places that have been previously searched. So it's even more mysterious. Um, so maybe that would tie into the ONA. So then I just, that was a whole new, avenue of research for me like what's this group what are their ideas are they real are they fictional do they have a real world effect and so it tied into adam waffen here in this here it's the far right neo-nazis right of which 09a can be seen as a part of is this new neo-nazi movement with nazi movement totally occulted totally luciferian mm-hmm. no, there's absolutely no doubt about it um it's not a christian group it's such a people who say no. that they're christians is a total joke yeah. stupid it's actually really stupid i've heard like doctors like talk about these people they they may have like used christianity as a cover but that's just the stupidest thing wow around. yeah yeah so crazy. anyway yeah so so that uh adam waffle was here in the states and there was actually just in the news last year 
the head of guy who I studied, um, Brandon Clint Russell, got arrested by the police. He was trying to destroy the electrical grid around Baltimore, like a huge <laughs> city. And so he went to jail. So he's out. So he was out in jail, got out. He's probably done. Like he and his like, it was like a Bonnie and Clyde of uh, neo-Nazis got bust. Clendenin, I think was her name. So there there were were real world things that happened that were associated with this ONA mm-hmm. uh, stuff. So it, it kind of infiltrated. The ideas infiltrated Atomwaffen. And then there was a series of deaths. One guy was involved in Atomwaffen. He shot his girlfriend's parents. There's another guy who uh, took a Jewish kid in Southern California and buried him, killed him and buried him in a park. And then there was another event of a, a literal guy who's probably an 09A member who uh, went out on a stabbing spree, probably killed two people. He got busted for one. His name was, uh, oh, let's see if I can remember it. Uh, it's Villa, I think it's a Dutch name or something like that, but he was out of Toronto. Wow. But so those, those, so there were were real world events, and so then that's kind of what led me to write and investigate the Illinois mm-hmm. and they they kind of had a very sinister, they have a sinister tradition, but they had a sinister kind of view of like we're going to have cells, we're, they're, they're going to call them Nexians, but it's almost like a cell structure of like a terrorist organization. Yeah. They have them dotted <clears throat> all around the world. I watched a, a documentary, two documentaries recently. One was the BBC, the other one was Sixty Minutes in Australia. And the one from the BBC was looking at different uh, far-right neo-Nazi groups and how they're linked all over the world. A lot of them are really young. Some of them were under the age of 15, which was super worrying. But they traced one group called The Base that you might find interesting to St. Petersburg. And it was the way they recruited that really interested me because they're using almost like, uh, you know, they're using uh, these encrypted teleconferencing apps basically getting a candidate online they're interviewing them for like half an hour and then as a group they on a panel will decide is this person suited to our group so it must be really hard to uncover these people because they're more hidden now than ever right and that's i I don't know how they got this guy russell but he was making statements on like a a, a encrypted chat that he thought was encrypted i'm not going to go that the government was in on that but uh there's like encryption keys on the ends of some of the modern ona guys too so they're clearly using encryption whether that's busted or not well i don't know you know but the base is interesting i mean we can talk offline about the base but the good news about the base is that anybody involved in the base who plots like these horrible things usually gets caught Mm, i would tell you something that's it that's yeah and they found out like this other guy from uh the, the temple of blood was probably on the pay of the government since 2003. He got busted for like a silencer or something like that. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it, what, what really gets me here is this. This is this is something that uh, I think people really need to hear. The, the ONA themselves were really, you know, I hadn't heard about them until I first came across one of your shows some time ago. So I, I had never heard of them. And then when I dug into them, you find all these other groups that they're, that they're linked to. I mean, I think one of the the recent crimes uh, involving Angel Almeida, I think he was yeah, from Angel New Almeida. York. Uh, yeah. uh, he's, he's, he's linked to a group called 764. And then you look behind them and they're related to a group called 676. Then the CVLT, 
Court, Cascar, Harm Nation, Leak Society, and a group, group called H3LL, which is obviously hell. I mean, the, there's so many splinter groups, it's, it must be a nightmare to try and track them. Yeah, I would agree with that. There were many that were came out of ONA or kind of Adam Waffen. There was fewer mm. Waffen. There was all these other different Waffen offshoots. Some got banned in Australia. But a lot of those guys got, they, there was a lot of arrests. A lot of, and then young kids too, and really dark, like child porn stuff involved in that too. Yeah. Like a lot of sexual abuse or abuse material. Mm. So it seems to go hand in hand with this really nihilistic far right stuff. Is like, ugh, like really, it's, like they're they're busted with child porn. A lot of them get busted yeah. for child porn too, and they're like extreme writing. So yeah, I mean it's it's really dark. It's a uh... It's traumatizing to actually even read the news reports on these things, which is why, although I've we were talking earlier, I've read a, a lot of Crowley's past um, texts. I haven't actually looked into any of the ONAs or the Temple of Blood or anything because I realised that reading that stuff, you don't get away scot free. It can it can affect you. It can negatively pull your mood down and stuff. So I've not read any of the texts, but reading the reading the stuff that they actually do is bad enough, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's probably better. You don't, I mean, yeah. I've gotten used to it like over time, like just by reading all these, all their occult manuals and mm. stuff like that. But yeah, um, it's pretty dark. ONA is just like horror, but it's very sophisticated. Mm-hmm. It's probably the most sophisticated, like cruelly, like you said, jar, tons of jargon and tons mm. of like uh, metaphor and things like that. The ONA is much more clever illiterate i think that people can understand and they're weird kind of like training stories you know like mm-hmm. right it's supposedly fiction but it's telling you how to do everything i think it's uh it's much more intelligent and clever but like people think like oh you know this is just some writing of some offshoot that doesn't have any cultural or real world stuff no the, the a lot of this stuff you'll never know so somebody could get busted mm-hmm. for a crime but if he's successful, he's not ever going to go, yeah, I'm an ONA guy. And I was doing it for the O9A. You know? Nobody's <laughs> yeah. ever going to say that. No. So they may no. be inspiring crimes or destabilizing or accelerating mm-hmm. or be involved in these kind of far right things. Like their whole thing is like, we're going to bring on the end so we can take over from the rules, right? Like that's their it's idea. But it's almost I mean, like you, Fight Club. <laughs> yeah, no. no, no, no. Right. That's a whole other story. Tyler Durden, <laughs> right? That's an 11, right? The smart yeah. face is all through Fight Club. So these are kind of occult ideas that go through all that stuff. Palniuk is a whole other show. But mm. it's part of the modern nihilism, total nihilism, right? And secret society. Yeah. Basically, Project Mayhem is a functioning secret society, or Fight Club really is, right? Don't talk about it. Nobody knows about it, right? So he's actually, mm. that concept is in Fight Club. Yeah. But um, if you want to see O9A doctrines and ideology played out in the common culture all you have to do is go to your youtube channel and check out ed sheeran's bad habits song it's from the beginning to then it is very sophisticated he knows whoever did that i don't think Ed. i don't know ed sheeran's stuff but it starts at the, the sun goes down and then all the mayhem happens the vampirism the shape-shifting the possession the smiley faces the training uh, you know references to eastern mysticism yeah 
being a bat upside down, like this whole themes that are within the ONA are all there. And then at the very end, the sun comes back up and Ed Sheeran's normal. That's the ONA. Yeah. It. It's all there. It's incredible. Yeah. And then Sheeran's buddies with Bring Me the Horizon, which you might know from the UK, like mm-hmm. they've worked together. And I think they, you know, they've been on shows together recently. And yeah. then Grimes, who is uh, Elon Musk's, one of his stable of women or whatever, I don't know. She's done shows with them. So yeah, these are people, these are, they know, they have, they know something. Yeah, they're, Grimes they're, is an interesting character herself. She's an interesting character. Uh, she did this weird video recently, very witchy kind of stuff. So these people know, man, they, they, mm-hmm. they are not together by accident. Mm-hmm. And I've done shows with, uh, about that PSYOP cinema. Yeah. So you yeah, in terms in terms of obviously people have tried to pin down who the the leader of the ONA was, and David Myatt David was, Myatt, yeah. yeah, it seems to be, and he went under like, I think I've seen about three or four different uh, aliases. He'll use Anton Long, and I've seen theories that Brown, Anton Stephen Long, Brown, might, I think it was. yeah, Anton Long might be a title that they give to whoever's in charge at the time, and, and I thought that'd be, be quite clever if they'd done that actually, and I wouldn't put it past them because. It really is a complex and a very uh, clever system they've put together. My my, it's a why has he never been a why has he never been arrested? It's a really good question. That's a very good question. He's been very close. Like they had the famous nail bomber in uh, the UK. Yeah, he was he was part of a, a group that I think was being run by Maya. So why didn't he get busted, or why isn't he attached? And I think that maybe they're just clever. The more clever of the neo-Nazis, which I'd find not really that clever mm-hmm. and distance themselves from their writing. I think that's why the use of the alias, right? It's so that they can't really definitively tie it to Myatt. So yeah. Like, yo, you wrote it. Like if you put a stamp on it, then the cops can say you've been, you know, encouraged criminality. Yeah. But I think that the, if you look at that uh, section in, in global death cult, where he's in correspondence with guys from the temple of set, they're like, we came and met you under different names, but you're the same guy. You know, so <laughs> yeah. you're supposedly yet online, but you look the same as David <laughs> Myatt. As you know, so I think that they weren't confused uh, mm. about what's going on. But you know, it's the yeah. he had ties to Combat Eighty Eight. This is a Gladio Stay Behind group, so these are kind of anti-communist. He was in those circles, so that means that's a sign of some form of intelligence or state. Mm state involvement or something so there's strange things going on and you know there's yeah. always that kind of and it's with Crowley too and a lot of these guys like who's financing them and what is there somebody else you know taking part in this is this an intelligence op they say that about Crowley mm. too yeah is ONA just like a full intel well if it was if ONA was just put together by the government they made a terrible mistake because that information is now out in the public yeah for that kind of software so it yeah. leads me to believe that it's not, they're not being, if, you know, controlled. And the yeah. whole thing about Crowley being an Intel agent is obvious he was. Yeah. But that his whole magical practice was an Intel op, I mm-hmm. think is uh, very suspect. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think it was, I think it was actually the real deal. I think the amount of writing he'd done as well. And it wasn't an act for him that he dropped. He kept right. doing it. But Paul, there's so many secret writings that he did. You know, there's things <laughs> yeah. that, that that aren't for the public. And so mm. many secret things that he did, like raping his children probably wasn't an intel mm. op. Branding the women with the sign of the beast. 
was yeah. probably not in it and doing horrible things, truly mm. horrible things. Yeah. Just, that's why I, that, it's, that's it's not fake. Like he's writing about eating his no. own excrement and no. stuff like that. Like, th- come on, man. Like this, I think that's it, how deep. Yeah. Give me, give me a break. Yeah. yeah. I think, I think what people try to do is they try to rationalize it away because they don't want to believe this world really exists. You know, it's just an, it's an Intel up. That's an easier yeah. cop out than to go, you know, maybe, maybe these occultists actually use the intelligence agencies and it's not the other way about, you know? No, but there is a next, there is some kind of like mm. helix of like Intel and occultism. Like why does somebody want to be an Intel operation? Uh, operator? Yeah. Well, because they're two-faced occultists anyway, right? Mm. Like they're the perfect asset because they live a secret life or they have secret ideas or they go to a secret tomb or something yeah. like that. Like here in the States, like the correlation between the Brotherhood of Death or I mean the uh, Skull and Bones Skull and Intel is all there. Like there's a really creepy picture of... Uh, Truman signing the National Security Act, which created the CIA, and behind him are like four bonesmen, like literal bonesmen. Wow. And Truman has no idea what he's doing. He, and then he regrets it, right? So Kennedy dies or gets killed by some of the, you know, the deep Maybe state. Is away. <laughs> oh, man, well, okay. Well, we can get but it gets killed. And then Truman writes, mm. the CIA should never have been great. Like he knows mm-hmm. he's gone the full arc. He saw what happened with his decision. He writes yeah. this article. I think it was in the Washington post. Like, yeah, the CIA has gotten out of control. So he knew what happened. Mm-hmm. I think. Um, yeah. But yeah, just the fact that these occultists are attracted to Intel work and it's yeah. kind of like the right, right thing. Like they always say these Intel people, they have a separate life. They're able to compartmentalize. That's why they used to have a lot of homosexuals like the Cambridge five, I think four out of five, if not five out of five, were gay. Like so, you know, something going on back then that was a huge, much bigger. Yeah, of course. Seeing, seeing as we um, we start to come towards the end, just a few more things, William, if that's okay. The, they follow, the ONA follow what they call the sinister tradition. It's it's a seven-level path or the seven-fold way. Uh, can, can you talk about some of the, they seem to have to go through ordeals when they're on this this elevation through this system. Can you talk about some of the, the things, the ordeals they, they go through? Is that yeah, I mean, they're supposed to go in like one of the steps is to go out at night at sundown and sit still until the sun comes up. So not move. So that's yeah. one of the kind of training things they're supposed to do. They're all supposed to go through a physical ordeal. So a physical aspect, long bike rides, long walks, jogs. So there's a physical component there. Um, I, I'm rem- and then this whole offer thing that I talked about, mm. you're supposed to, I think the third or fourth step, is to to successfully kill somebody. And that was kind of what Myatt or Anton Long or Stephen Brown was writing about to the Temple of Set or Church of, you know, say, or Temple of Set, I think it was, that differentiated their ideas is that they really believed that human sacrifice is a key component to being uh, a true occultist and not a play, like a play actor or a so LARPer or something like that. So I think so that the, the third point. Yeah, so they had links, sorry, to Michael Aquino then, yeah? They had what? Links to Michael Aquino. Oh, yeah, yeah, no doubt. Yeah. There's there's correspondence between them both in the book. Oh, so wow. they're corresponding with each other, yeah. So um, that's what, and the, Maya is kind of like jostling with him, showing that he's more authentic into the satanic sinister tradition than, than Aquino. But he also hints that he knows that Aquino does 
kill people. You know, like there's weird yeah. things going on with the Temple of Set, though. But yeah. I think that's very instructive. Those those back and forths between them, that, those missives. But so that's really the thing. I think the third or fourth step is to select an offer. And there's a long. I mean, they put time and effort in this. This is how you select your victim. You mm. find somebody, and you find that they have character you don't like, and that this is going to benefit this, and you know, take homo hubriati out of the system. Like they have like even kind of like a you know uh, kind of like a gene like a a designation for the people who have to go and they're going to become homo galacticus right so the Mm long-term goal of the ona is uh you know space opera like kind of like psychology wow it's a really interesting again you've highlighted the elitist nature of that there you see the battle between uh, maya and aquino you know, I'm better than you, sort of thing. I, I think Aquino had done a, a ritual in Wolfsburg and stuff like that as well. He was yeah. really into Nazi culture as well. Like, again, same, you see the same traits, but their egos seem to, they can't work together because their egos just, you know, it's, it's insane. Uh, it's egotism. That's what a lot of it is, is really selfish, self-centered stuff. But yeah, there's a kind of a famous picture of Aquino with like a SS knife and he's been mm-hmm. in the Wolfsburg, so. These guys yeah, are carrying on that tradition. I mean, the ONA is like the they're new. They don't do, you know, 2023 AD. It's 1889, year of Fien, the year of rejoicing when Hitler was born. Like they, mm-hmm. they deify. So there's this kind of like Hitler deification in the far right that's almost like a spiritual deification. There's this woman, Savitri Devi, who wrote, I forgot the name of the book, but it was almost like she she saw like Hitler as an avatar, like something mm. from like uh, you know uh, the Eastern tradition, and she was connected to a Nazi here. His name was uh, Rockwell, and I think when she died, her ashes came here, much like Crowley's. Crowley's ashes are somewhere in the United States. Mm-hmm. Wow, uh, yeah the the offer the offering thing that you were talking about. I think they actually from what I've read previously, they test their victim almost. They try and see if you are, like, of lower character, so justifying the killing, like, they're almost cleansing the world sort of thing. Yes. Or that's how they yeah, look at it, so. yeah. Wow, that's, in- that's insane. And really there may insane. be some kind of, like, a animus towards drinking or being party. Like, that may be why people get selected, is that they're not serious in their, their rock as, or, you know, they're out drinking or something like that. Like, this person is not going to be part of our squad, so let's get rid of him. Yeah. Maybe that's it. Wow. it may, that may be the tie-in to the smiley face killings. I don't know. Mm. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of similarities. Uh, and as I said, one of the things I was trying to uh, describe to a family member recently about how vast this network of occult groups is, and I said the way you can best visualize it probably is looking at a, a complex Venn diagram you'll think the groups are completely unrelated, but they overlap in some sort of area, so they find common ground. And I think one of the biggest messages is, it's like people who might might look into the Freemasons. Yeah, somebody might be in the Freemasons, but they might also be in the OTO, but they might also be in the Rosicrucians. They might also, you know, they cross over. They they follow many different uh, groups, a lot of these people. If not all of them. You have to remember Mm. what Crowley said. Like, this is the guy they all go through. So... Mm. You know, Maya knew Crowley. He knew everything about Crowley. He went through it. So did Aquino. So did LeVay. These guys all knew Crowley. Crowley said, join every occult group you can. And he famously said, I have so many badges and know so many hand signs. And I know so many things that it would bury an elephant. 
it's not a, a verbatim quote, but like Crowley were and these guys did it. Like people who knew Crowley, like Robert Anton Wilson, the same thing. So some of these guys are all of it. And Crowley was kind of all of it. You know, he was a Mason mm-hmm. and a post Mason and his OTO and then like the Lima silver star. Yeah. He knew the Rosicrucians out here in California. See Lewis was the guy's name. Like it's incredible. So when people think like one person, one of these guys is just a member of one group and that's it. No, that's, that's this, why it's, it's a clever system. It's a clever system they've got. And if you go through the ONA at the outer head, like the outer head is known. These are guys who have their own kind of systems, right? There was a guy Ford who was the outer head at one time. He didn't last, but he had a kind of his own kind of black magic thing in Texas. And, uh, you know, some of these other ones are not, are not as obvious, but that was one where like, it's clear he's not just an ONA. And they had a killing in um, London, Daniel Hussein, you can Oof. look him up, but he, yeah, he had kind of an, the guy he was in contact with, be your own living God, right? Was a guy mm-hmm. who's not his real name, but he goes by EA Quetting. Strange backstory. Like when I first was public back in 2010, I was on a show with that guy. He's now wow. been kind of kicked off. Yeah. If anybody can find that show, please send it. It's 13 <laughs> years old. Some of my earliest shows are gone, but uh, he was the one who put this thing up and had like the, there was a lucifuge or some like ultra, ultra, you know, demon. And Daniel Hussein signed like a blood oath with the guy and put his blood on there and then went out and, and he said, he, he said something very ONA. He wrote down, I'm going to commit this crime and not get caught. Mm. Right. And so, uh, but he did get caught. Thank God. Yeah. But um, it's another show shows the international scope of the, and the overlapping. Yeah. And that the rumor is, is that Coetting, and I haven't confirmed this, was a secret writer of Temple of Blood literature. Yeah, I've, I've heard that from somewhere else as well, uh, that he was actually, I think he tried to deny all these links on YouTube before he got taken down. But yeah, he's a dangerous character. Again, someone that you, you would imagine, what, why is he still walking around? He could be an intelligence asset. You just don't know, you know? But that just shows how dangerous these ideas, because Daniel, he's saying he's someone on the spectrum, right? That's what mm. they're saying. They actually delayed his sentencing because they had to see how culpable he was because he wasn't, you know, all there. He, like they said that they, he, a lot of these guys have some curious character traits. That's, yeah. And they get, but they get caught up in this and believe it. Like he, uh, Daniel Hussein is also known as the lottery killer because he, he was going to commit the crime so he could win the lottery. <laughs> yeah. That's what he thought. So, I mean, you know, a it, tragic, tragic story. I mean, t- two sisters uh, dead over somebody being so disillusioned. But I think there was a there was a study came out recently in the UK about. I'll, I'll need to try and dig it out for you, and I'll, I'll send you a link to it. But apparently, they found that people on the spectrum, Asperger's, uh, certain areas of autism they're much more likely to be radicalized, and it kind of makes sense when you look at they can be hyper-intelligent, they can ultra-focus on one thing, but they're also also easily manipulated in some areas. Kind of starts to make sense. Yeah, when you go look at like the stuff in Adam Waffen and Global Death Cult, when those two, there were two guys, it was Himmelman and Onashuk, who were shot by another guy. All three of them were a mess. Like Himmelman had gotten or was had received electroshock therapy in the modern age. And this other kid, Onishuk, he just never left his room. He was always online. So oh, they were susceptible to all of that stuff. Like an online trade, uh, 
is another kind of common denominator. I mean, you probably find these these kind of lost youth online a lot, which is a good warning sign and something that you might not want to encourage uh, if you have young boys and stuff like that. Of course, hundred percent. Get them out and play sports or get them outside. Yeah, yeah. Of course, there's there's not enough of that these days. But uh, I think I think the more we talk about these subjects, the more people find out about them, the better. The problem is they're like chameleons. The minute they get exposed, they they just change their 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 name, their title. You know, they'll they'll go underground and it. So it, it's not as simple as just. Uh, is finding one group. Uh, fin- finishing up, William, uh, I'm really thankful for your time and stuff like that. Just just two things to kind of finish on. This is obviously a, a very dangerous job, highlighting dangerous people who don't want their activities, to be honest, brought out into the light. What advice would you give to those starting to research this field and who might, from that research, publish or share their findings? You know, you just got to... A lot of these crimes happen at night. Like, that's like a commonality. So if you're a person of the day, you know, you only have to be worried about certain times that you're out. So, uh, but you know, you gotta, uh, you gotta just be careful and that's, that's kind of it. You know, I mean, I think that I take my own precautions. Like I don't do stuff. So, but I do think like, it is important to expose the stuff I do mm-hmm. that it's out there. And at least is in the public conscious that these are dangerous people. Cause some of these events could have happened. Like there was this one guy who tried to contact the ONA to get his entire military squad oh, annihilated. Wow. His name was Meltzer. Yeah. He was actually mm. in the same jail that uh, Epstein was and Gillian Maxwell. So Meltzer. <laughs> he was recently sentenced, but like there's these guys with crazy ideas are out there and these, they're susceptible or whatever. So um, it's just the world we live in these days. That's just the yeah. way it is. Uh, ideas, good ideas can be disseminated and talks like this can happen, but then mm-hmm. transportation and communications can also lead to kind of the dark side too. Yeah, of course, hundred percent. William, I'd love to have you back on because obviously you've got so much work that you've you've done. I'd like to at some point talk about the smiley face killers and more at depth with you and obviously get into the West Memphis three because I think that whole satanic panic era uh, lets a lot of these people go unchecked or, you know, the authorities don't want to dig in as much because they're worried about getting, you know, looking bad because of the whole satanic panic. I've got more ideas about what the satanic panic was. But as we finish up here, would you like to share where people can follow you and support your invaluable work? Yeah, you can uh, listen to my podcast, William Ramsey Investigates, the top 0.5 podcasts in the world. All my books are available on Amazon. My newest Smiley Face Killers book is 400 pages. There's been a lot of things that happened in the last couple of years uh, regarding those this whole phenomenon. So there's a lot of updated new information. And then um, you can actually go to my Patreon. And for five bucks, you can watch all of my micro-produced documentaries. All five of my documentaries are on there. So people, if you're bored, you can kind of get a snapshot of my work. But a more visual kind of view of stuff of like all of the... Uh, kind of pictures and, and maps and things of that I've accrued in my smiley face killers documentary is three and a half hours long. So it's there too. So you can kind of check that out. So Patreon podcast and books are available on Amazon, or you can get signed copies at my website and see some of my other writings and journalism at William Ramsey investigates.com. That's brilliant, William. Yeah, I would advise anybody to go and take a look at your documentaries because, number one, they're real documentaries. They're not mockumentaries like the HBO, you know, the, 
Paradise Lost uh, nonsense. This, these are real documentaries. You'll find out stuff that you've never heard before about these subjects. William, th- thanks very much. I really, I really appreciate your time. It's been an absolute honour and a pleasure. Thank you. Likewise. Thanks for having me. Great to be with you. Uh, brilliant. Can you just hold on a second, William, just as I finish this? Just, yeah. Just I'm going to stop recording on my end just so I know I have it. That was brilliant, William.